welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Good morning. Today we are going to be carrying on our series looking at Ephesians and how to thrive in uncertain times. We've been taking a different chapter each week and looking for keys in how it can help us in times like this, times when life feels complex and overwhelming and scary. But as I was preparing this talk last week, Hannah, my wife, came up to me while I was making coffee and totally out of the blue, she asked me a question that I was not expecting. She said, Adam, do you know why pirates wore an eye patch? Totally caught me off guard. Honestly, I don't know if I've ever really thought about that question, but if you press me on it, you know, maybe it's a lot of sword fighting, there's sharp points around, you know, someone's going to lose an eye. Or maybe there's just some famous pirate influencer who had set a trend that everyone was copying. Well, unsurprisingly, with those guesses, I was wrong. And maybe you already knew this, but it turns out that pirates would wear an eye patch despite having two healthy eyes. They would have one accustomed to the light when they are on the deck, but then as they would so often go into the ship where it is dark and there's no electricity to try and find things, what they would do instead of waiting for their eyes to become accustomed to the dark, they would just slide over the eye patch to the other side. So they'd always have one eye accustomed to the light and why one eye accustomed to the dark? Because sometimes your vision is so accustomed to the light, it is really hard to discern your way through the dark. And so this series is about kind of helping us to slide our eye patch across to the other eye and see despite the uncertainty and darkness and shadows. Because there is still a path even if your eyes aren't accustomed to seeing it. The Bible was written by suffering people and for suffering people. And so there is so much in its pages to help us when times feel as uncertain as they do right now. So this book of Ephesians has got this real simple two-part structure. The first three chapters, chapters one to three, basically say this is who you are. And so we've looked at the fact that you are blessed and you are not alone. And then chapters four to six start with this word, therefore. Basically, in light of everything that you've just been told about your identity, this then is how you should live. And as part of that encouragement on how we are to live, Paul in chapters four and five begins to run with this metaphor of taking off the old man and putting on the new man, which is Christ-like. He makes this really interesting list of comparisons between the old and new man. He says that instead of lies, they tell the truth. Instead of anger, they create peace. Instead of stealing, they live with generosity. Instead of gossip, their words bring encouragement. Instead of pursuing revenge, they forgive. And instead of promiscuity, they practice self-control. But then he finally uses this really interesting comparison. He says, of, instead of being drunk, they live under the influence of the Spirit. 
And that is where I would like us to pick up today in Ephesians 5 verse 17. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So Paul, in these verses, encourages us that when times are difficult, when evil days come as they surely will, he calls us to live carefully. Now, that's not a message we often talk about. But the Bible is consistent in this message about being careful how you live. And this isn't meant to compete with the message that we are to live carefree, but it actually works in harmony with it. Or to put it another way, and what I'd like to title this talk, the Bible encourages us to live carefree, but not careless. Carefree, but not careless. And the language here is very similar to another verse by another apostle writing another letter to another suffering church in 1 Peter 5, 7-9. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. Again, Live carefree, but not careless. Peter here reminds us that as followers of Jesus, when we look around at the times we find ourselves in, we know that there is another dimension at work, a greater dimension at work behind the scenes. We know that there is an enemy and that enemy is out for blood. This verse often reminds me of that scene in Lord of the Rings when Frodo finally meets Strider or Aragorn. And he's being hunted by the ring race and Aragorn says, are you frightened? And Frodo replies, yes. To which Aragorn says, not nearly frightened enough. I know what hunts you. And I was a little cautious about sharing that story because of course we are not meant to be frightened. Being frightened of the enemy is the stupidest thing we could do because we know that we follow Jesus who has the ultimate victory over every power. But at the same time, I think it's kind of helpful mental picture because it reminds us that we are not meant to be naive about the enemy's plans to oppose the people and the purposes of God. There is absolutely an invitation to live carefree. But we can only achieve that if we heed the warning to live carefully. This word, often translated to devour in the Greek, is actually a really interesting one. And it can probably be better translated as to swallow up. And as I was studying this, I like the, one, the way that one theologian unpacks it. And they say the best image to have in your head is almost the Egyptians as they follow the Israelites through the parted Red Sea. And then we know the story. Suddenly, out of nowhere, the Red Sea suddenly pours back in over the top of them and swallows them up. Or an image of a tiny boat caught in a huge storm in the ocean as wave upon wave comes crashing against it, threatening to swallow it up. 
It's this kind of picture that Peter is wanting to give us a warning about. The word devil or enemy simply means accuser. And so his tactics mostly come in the form of accusations. Negative, destructive and repetitive thoughts that attack our confidence in our identity and our commitment to our calling. And there are seasons that these waves feel like they come crashing against us again and again, threatening to swallow us up. I wonder if you're watching this and you're in a season where you feel like the enemy is circling, where you feel like you too are battling with fearful, insecure, destructive thoughts. Well, at the beginning of this year, Hannah, my wife, got incredibly sick. She had been poorly since before Christmas, and we'd been to the GP lots of times to which we were told it's just a new bug, it's just a new bug. And then suddenly a junior GP uh, decided that he was going to be, and I quote, extra cautious, and decided to do some blood work. Well, the next day, Hannah got an emergency phone call from the GP saying that her uh, infection markers were incredibly raised and could she come in immediately. We drove straight from work where we were working actually in this office and we got to the GP and it turns out that when we got there she was tachycardic and septic. She'd been battling with a very aggressive virus, uh, bacteria, for a number of months and it had got into her bloodstream. She was rushed straight to hospital and uh, I had to leave her there and go and pick up our, at the time, 18-month-old daughter from nursery. Well, as the story goes, Hannah ended up having to spend six nights in hospital. It took a long time for her to begin to respond to some augmented, chemically augmented antibiotics because it was this really resistant strain of bacteria. But on the first night, we also noticed that Thea too had been struggling with the same symptoms. So I took her to the GP and we had to take her in at 11.30. I took her in at 11.30 p.m. to the hospital and held her down as she got an x-ray. And it turned out that both Hannah and Thea had the same bug and were both struggling with pneumonia. Hannah had been hospitalised and the consultant told me that they were going to start Thea on antibiotics of which there was a 60% chance that she would respond and if she didn't she'd have to come in for IV antibiotics too. So at gone midnight I drove home with an incredibly poorly 18 month old leaving an incredibly poorly wife in the hospital and I took Thea home praying that she would respond to these antibiotics. Well, at the time, she was still breastfeeding and obviously incredibly poorly. And so I remember just night after night while Hannah was in the hospital, waking up consistently with Thea, no one else around, and holding her while she cried, desperate for the comfort of mum, which she didn't understand why she couldn't have. And I know that in those moments, I felt the enemy circling. It's amazing when you're rocking an 18-month-old in the middle of the night who's crying and your wife is not responding to antibiotics, how easy it is to listen to the accuser. Questions of, is Hannah going to be okay? Is Thea going to be okay? Should I have done more? And I knew that in those moments, I remembered one Peter, that he told me, that Jesus tells me to cast all my anxiety on to him. 
but I knew that I had to be careful to be able to live carefree. The enemy was circling, looking to accuse me, all these fearful thoughts crashing against me. And so in those moments as I rocked fear, I had to picture God rocking me as I did the same thing, knowing that there was potential for me to get swallowed up if I wasn't incredibly careful. And as it goes, Thea responded amazingly to the antibiotics. She didn't have to go back into hospital. And after six days, we were able to bring Hannah home as well. And it's an intense example, but maybe you are watching this and you're worried about something too. Whether or not that's money with jobs uh, in question, or someone you love is sick, or you're worried that they might get sick or simply that you're feeling lonely and it's making you question your worth and value. And the enemy would love to convince you that it's not gonna be okay, that you're not gonna make it through, that you don't have any value. Well, there is an invitation to throw your anxious thoughts onto Jesus. But remember that to live carefree, we have to live carefully. And so, how do we do that? Well, Paul tells us, Don't be drunk on wine. Don't look to alcohol to try and anesthetize yourself from these evil days. But instead, be filled and live under the influence and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. This is a surefire way that we stand firm in our faith. And that word filled means to be filled, but to keep being filled because we leak talking to people the concept of being filled with the spirit is so often one that people struggle with we so easily elevate it into this sort of super spiritual experience that makes it inaccessible but it is no help to have a defense that you have no idea how to access and so paul gives us three really simple keys for how to access the spirit's power in our own life let's just carry on reading Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. So there you go, people who are struggling to sing at home. That's absolutely fine. And Paul here says the important piece is worshipping in your heart. Always giving thanks to God, our Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Three really simple tools. Worship, thanksgiving, and service. And these disciplines are how you access the Holy Spirit's power in your own life. It's not that we you know, sit at home and clench our fists and pray and hope that the Holy Spirit will just come. And if he does happen to come, suddenly these would just burst forth from our lives like champagne out of a shaken bowl. I don't think that's what Paul is saying at all. What Paul is saying is that as we begin to posture ourselves in worship, practice the discipline of thanksgiving, and position ourselves in service to others. The Spirit comes crashing into our inner man. The Spirit of God always empowers the ways of God. And so where could you grow in these disciplines? Maybe you could download Into the Light, Emmaus's new album, or just simply make a commitment to only listen to worship music this week. 
maybe you can make a list of things to be thankful for on your phone and consciously add to it over this week and read it before you go to bed just to grow in this discipline of thanksgiving. And finally, where could you look to serve others? Maybe that's simply just committing to your family or your housemates and the people you live with. Or maybe it's reaching out to try and serve your neighbours. Or maybe it's signing up to love your neighbour. And as the church looks to bless and reach the countless need on our doorstep, maybe you could come and help with that. Or maybe it's time to join Alpha and serve others by telling them about the good news that you have found in Jesus. Or maybe you don't even know this Jesus and you've got no idea what I'm talking about, about this Holy Spirit. But you know that you have experienced these destructive thoughts that kind of threaten to swallow you up. If that's you, then I just want to encourage you to just after the service, we're going to have a virtual welcome desk where the people that were hosting would love to chat to you over a Zoom call and let you know a little bit more about how you can find out about Jesus and this good news that we've been talking about. And finally, I love that Paul says, not despite but because the days are evil, make the most of every opportunity. It's so interesting that Paul sees the opportunity even in the pain. Light always shines brightest in the dark. And as Tozer said, a fearful world needs a fearless church. Bless you.